And Lord, what a blessing to know that our Redeemer lives. And Lord, not only do you live, but you live even within us. And so, Father, we just pray that you would be seen through us. And Father, as we look at this subject of trials today, I just pray once again that you would teach us, bless us, and instruct us. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell him, Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday to you. <laughs> Happy Sunday. Hi, Tina. How are you? Good morning. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to James chapter 1. We'll be picking up at verse 5. And as always, if you arrived here today without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along. And there should be one in front of you underneath the seat. If there isn't, if you'll raise your hands. If you need a Bible, raise your hands and the ushers will bring one to you. James chapter 1, I'll start reading at verse 5. Go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. James writes, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it brings birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Father, once again, we just pray that you would bless our Bible study, that you would meet us, Father, where we're at. What I mean by that, Lord, in the trials and the testings that we go through, show us the reason, the purpose, give us wisdom, give us understanding, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and be seated. So it's been two weeks since we first started, James, since we did the introduction and looked at the first couple of verses. And so since you've had this time to consider things and to work things out, I would just have a simple question. Are you, look over at verse 4, perfect and complete, lacking nothing in your Christian life? I mean, come on, you've had two weeks. We had Mother's Day, we took a little time off, should be doing good. 
Well, for those of us who are not quite there yet, and guess what? None of you are, and if you think you are, you're really quite far away. There's God's gym. It's a new thing, gym. There's gyms in seemingly every shopping center. I don't know who is attending these gyms because I don't see anybody that looks like they're really working out, but there's a lot of gyms there. Well, we've got God's gym that place of workout and that you are broken down for God's purpose of building you back up. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Work out your salvation. That means the salvation that you have obtained from God that is deep within inside of you, it needs to be expressed through you. It's how God works. It's what God does. It's how, well, you're that poster child for born-again believer. And we can see that as things are going well in our lives, things are going really good, well, there's that witness. But how much more powerful when we have the peace of God that surpasses understanding as we're going through difficult days. So God runs us through his gym. The workout weights that God uses is trials and tribulations in our lives. And everybody here has been through trials and tribulations. Everybody here is going to continue to go through trials and tribulations. We live in a fallen world. Verses 2 and 4, my brethren, so he's talking to born-again believers just so there's clarity there. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Where does this practical workout program start? It all starts with wisdom, wisdom with an undercurrent of prayer. Again, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Wisdom and prayer. It's all part of the growing, the maturing, and the perfecting process. The work that God is doing in your life. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And the way this work really hits home is through the difficulties in our lives, but how much more so when we see the presence of God through the difficulties of our lives, when we see the hand of God in the difficulties of our lives. Now, if the good times, we were able to see that, then that's what we would get. That's what would be effective, but that's not very effective. Matter of fact, how diligent you are you in your prayer. How diligent are you seeking God and God's will when things are going really, really good? When things are going really, really bad, you're usually clinging to the Lord. You're exactly where the Lord would have you. Psalm 111, verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. And so... Why not just pray, God, give me wisdom so I wouldn't do the stupid things that I do and have these trials come into my life? Because the trials don't arise from you. The trials come into your life, they're sent by God. And maybe a better term would be they're allowed by God. They're allowed by God, and it's just your wisdom or foolishness that determines the depth of a trial. Father, as I'm going through a trial, now I just saw in James on Sunday morning that this comes into my life by you. You allow this to happen into my life. 
as you allow things to come into my life, you don't just do so randomly. You've got reason and purpose for these trials to enter in. And Lord, some of them are, are pretty deep. Some of them, Lord, just vex the very heart and soul of my being. But you're doing this for reason and purpose. Lord, give me wisdom so that I would know and I would understand what you're doing here that I would realize your purpose and your plan in doing these things. Lord, give me no easy way out because as all that's doing is causing a delay in the work that you want to do. It's just going to end it to end a trial prematurely is just going to cause it to come around again somewhere down the pike. And so great need for wisdom. So we do not waste the opportunities that God gives us for maturity that in the trial that enters into my life, that I would gather and gain all that God has for me in the midst of it, keeping in mind for the purpose of maturing in my Christian faith, so I would be closer to Christ, that I would be well prepared to minister to the saints, that the trial that I have gone through, it's not going to be strange within the body of Christ. There will be other people going through that trial, and I'll be able to support them. I'll be able to encourage them as they go through that. See, this is the place that people who are going through hardship and trials need to be. Now, this is a place where people are going through the downtime. I'm, what I mean by downtime is you're not currently going through any major trial or testing. But see, you're here for the purpose of supporting those who are. And again, the church needs to be a place that people work hand-in-hand hand together. Every member is truly a minister to support one another and see that we are all brought closer to Christ. So where do I get this wave of wisdom? Well, it comes from the undercurrent of prayer. If you look at verses 5 and 6, and I've underlined it in both verses, you see the word ask. And not only are we to ask, but we are to ask in faith. So from the Bible, we sit in Bible study after Bible study after Bible study, and we gain knowledge. From our prayer, we gain wisdom. I gain the ability to be able to apply the knowledge that I gather from God's Word. What's the difference? Wisdom without knowledge and knowledge without wisdom are both practically useless. I was playing golf not too long ago, and we were playing in a hilly area, <clears throat> and a snake went across the path. Now, the person that I was with went and grabbed the tail end of the snake. And he says, well, it's just a garter snake or whatever. Well, I had knowledge. I realized it wasn't a, a rattlesnake or anything like that because there was rattlesnake signs all over the place. But I also have the wisdom, because in my mind, it's kind of stupid to grab a snake by the tail. Because even the ones that aren't poison can turn around and bite you. Now, this other person will just pray that they gain wisdom within their life. Now, we drove a little bit further, and there was another snake. Now, this one was, I think it was a king snake. It was kind of colorful, and it was going across the path. And he said, ooh, that's a colored one. I'm not going to grab that one. And I thought, well, it's working already. God's already given him wisdom. And so just to understand that that's a snake, you come upon a rattlesnake and understand that's a rattlesnake and rattlesnakes are poisonous. They're indigenous to the area, but I ought not to touch it. Or, and if you're just standing there right next to the snake and going through all this in your head, you're a fool because the snake's going to turn around and bite you. If you say that's a rattlesnake, it's poison, and you move away from it, well, that's wisdom. And again, I have a trial, and I need to understand and recognize the trial for what it is. I need to have understanding in that. 
but I also need to have wisdom in that, and that God, God, I would gain all that you would have for me for the hardship and the trials that I go through. So what to ask for next time you're in a trial, or if you're currently in a trial, ask God for wisdom. Where to ask? Well, only one place, prayer. Get down on your knees and seek the Lord. Lord, give me wisdom. We're going to look for the easy, or look at the easy way out here, at least the mindset of an easy way out. Don't ask for the easy way out. Just ask, Father, give me wisdom and be a person in prayer. Now, how are you to ask? You're to ask in faith. You're to ask knowing that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. Even in the midst of something that seems so hopeless and so beyond control, God is absolutely in control Again, working his will out, and you need to be of the mindset that I need to enter into what God has as he only has the best for me. As he has told me, he will never leave me nor forsake me in faith. I need to cling to him. So, verses 5 and 8, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. So what would be a way in not asking in faith? Well, I think the main way that we neglect to ask in faith is when we just kind of throw up that SOS prayer. Just kind of a a fire alarm pull station prayer. We just pull the station and we just kind of walk away. No, it's to understand who I am praying to. I'm praying to Lord God of the universe. I'm praying for the one who, who allowed the trial to come into my life for reason and purpose. God, show me what that reason and, and purpose is. And to understand that as all things are working together for the good, they may not necessarily be good, but they are working together for the good. Let me understand what you have for me. Now, they teach on trials as it comes up in the scriptures, and I don't remember what study. I think it was an evening study. and uh, Actually, I think it was a Sunday evening study, and I had mentioned to the people that were here on Sunday night, you know, there's a group of you, just as I said to you, that are going to be going through a trial this coming week. And I'm just kind of thinking as I'm saying that, uh-oh, because I'm, I'm part of that too. And, and that particular week, I went into a very hard trial, very difficult trial. And when you're in the midst of it, it's almost as if it's panic time. What do I do? How can this happen to me? Why is this going on? You know, those kinds of things. But then after you go through all that process, then you need to refocus. And you need to understand, okay, God's still in control of this situation. God's working something out through this situation. I need to find out what God has because the sooner I learn the lesson, the faster I'm going to be able to go through this trial to enter into the next one because, again, the maturing process, it never really ends. It's something that takes our whole Christian lives. But nonetheless, I need to ask in faith, understanding who it is that I am speaking to. Remember when the apostle Peter went for a stroll? Because, see, so many times we'll misconstrue the trial. We'll think, okay, what did I do wrong? You didn't do anything wrong. How have I been disobedient? Well, you haven't been disobedient. This is just how God works in our lives. Well, there's Apostle Peter. He, he's out on the lake. He's out on the Sea of Galilee, and there's a storm. 
And these are seasoned fishermen, and they're afraid. So they've spent their lives out on that sea. So this had to be a pretty brutal storm. This is in Matthew 14, 28 through 33, although we're not going to turn there. And so Peter's out there. God has allowed this trial to enter into his life, as well as the other apostles. But in the midst of it, the Lord meets him there. And he hears the call of the Lord. And what's Peter? Peter was called to go a little bit deeper than everybody else. Everybody else, they had the boat to cling to. That was their security. They were still threatened, but nonetheless, they were holding fast in the boat. But then the Lord said to Peter, because Peter, James, and John, these were people that God was always using to a greater degree than the other apostles. And he told Peter, I want you to get out of the boat. I want you to come out and to be where I am. Now, Peter cannot walk on water apart from the Lord. Peter was only going to walk on water for a little bit, but the fact of the matter is, Peter walked on water. Is there anybody here who's walked on water? Don't raise your hand, because we'll haul you off to the loony bin. Um, I guess I have no faith, so we'll talk about your experience. But nonetheless, so first thing that Peter, in the midst of this trial, what does he hear? He hears the voice of the Lord. And the Lord tells Peter to come to him. Peter, I want you to come to me. Peter, I want you to come to a greater depth of your Christian life. I want you to move to a greater degree in your maturity because I'm going to use you in amazing ways. And although I'm here right now physically, it's not going to be so in the future. You're going to have to have an ear to hear through your spiritual life and your dedication to the training that I have given you. And so he hears the call. And what does Peter do? Peter obeys. He gets out of the boat. And the only thing that you can say about this whole deal isn't focusing on Peter sinking, but Peter walking. And he did walk on the water. But then the trial, it says that Peter looked around and he saw the depth of the trial. See, Peter's not quite there where he's going to go strolling on the sea. God's given him a little bit. And God gives us all a bit as much as we're able to handle for a period of time. And for a period of time, if you have faith and if you hear the voice of the Lord, you'll experience walking on the water or doing something that you never thought that you would be able to do. Now, the problem in the body of Christ is the majority of the people stay in the boat. And you can have Bartholomew in the boat. Bartholomew laughing at Peter later on. This is conjecture on my part. Don't look it up in the Bible. Peter, you're pebble, all right, because when you were out there, man, you were sinking like a rock. And, 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 you know, I'm sure they could give him grief, but he can turn around to all of them and say, I walked on the water. Maybe just for a little bit, but I walked on the water. Yeah, it got the best of me because I'm not quite there yet. I'm not as mature as the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll never be, but I want to continue to work towards that. But for a moment, I walked on water. Now, what happens when Peter... I don't want to say he failed, but when his flesh got the better of him, the hand of God was there to bring him back into the boat. It was there to pull him back up, to pull him out, and to protect him. And so it's the same thing with us. If the trial comes from God, and God has called me to enter into the trial, and for a period of time I'll be able to walk on water in the midst of the trial or fill in the blank, But then when my flesh gets the best of me, God's there. Because again, he's not using this trial to destroy me as we kind of have that perception at times. He's using that trial to mature me. 
And so, through your help, maybe it's a lost job, maybe it's the death of a loved one, maybe it's sickness, whatever it might be, God is working a maturing process out in all of our lives. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 13 through 14, speaking of leaders and their example, till we all come to the unity of faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cutting craftiness of deceitful plotting. What uh, Paul is talking about is, is having our eyes upon the Lord and seeking towards that maturity where Christ has set the perfect example. Again, it says, till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's never going to happen in this life but we need to continue to reach forward to that higher calling in Christ Jesus. Paul says, that's the one thing that I do, is forgetting the things of the past and maturing and pushing forward. My wife asked me, what should we pray for our grand? She, on her Facebook site, she posts a weekly prayer for the grandchildren. Her and Lori Barilero in Mexicali, they take turns, and it was my wife's turns, and I just said, push forward, because I want to see my grandchildren push forward. I don't want to see them give up. I want to see them receive all that they're able to receive in Jesus Christ. I want them to come to the fullness of Christ, to the measure of stature that he has for them. I want to see my grandchildren not only walk on water now, but I want to see them walk on streets of gold in the end, or at the beginning of eternity anyway. I want to see them do some great things in God. And the only way they're going to be able to do that is in faith, but also through the trials that they experience. Verses 9 and 11, Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat that it withers the grass, its flower falls, and, it is and its beautiful appearance perishes, so the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. We went to the Deepster yesterday, my wife and my mother-in-law. That would be Home Depot for you new people. <clears throat> and we bought flowers, and I was planting flowers um, in our front front planter and I'm looking at them and just thinking you know they're just so small right now you know just one of those little six-pack things of flowers uh, I think they were in patience and planted them and you know it, it speaks of their lifetime and I'm just thinking wow here they are they're just so small and they're just so fragile and just put him in this dirt and this you know here in, in in the front of my house and just understanding from what I've done in the past hopefully these follow through but they'll glow, grow and they'll blossom and they'll spend their life here and they'll be a great thing but then one day there's going to be the heat of the sun and they're going to die they're going to live out their lives and so how are we going to live out our lives are we going to live out our lives in full bloom are we going to live out our lives just as some sort of dead plant that is just taking up space and nutrients. Well, here it's all about the cooperation and the construction of Christian character. There's two directions here that encompasses us all. There's the lowly brother, the one that needs to be built up, the one that needs to be exalted. And really, you've got this cross-section within the body of Christ, spiritually speaking, but physically speaking as well, that they're being planted here in the body of Christ. What's the potential for the one that is planted in the body of Christ? Well, for the lowly brother, that he would be built up. 
that the things that he's experienced in the past, he would truly be able to forget and to leave them behind. And that's a hard thing to do because the devil is always reminding us of our past. We as the church ought not to be reminded of the person of that as well. Now, the person who has the testimony, we all have a testimony, but at some point we've just got to leave those things behind and push forward. So for the divorced person, the alcoholic, the drug addict, whoever they are, there's got to be that opportunity just simply to push forward and to flourish in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the idea behind what he's talking about in this lowly man, that he would come to an awareness of the spiritual richness, richness of Jesus Christ. The others, the others, there's going to be a humbling process. And maybe even you used to be lowly, but then God built you up. But the Lord is going to keep you humble so you constantly depend upon him and not yourself and not your ability. You enter into the Christian life maybe as a lowly person, but you sit in Bible studies, you gain a lot of knowledge, you pray for wisdom, and all of a sudden you're prospering, you're doing well. It can so easily be, well, it can be so easy to become full of yourself and no longer filled with the Spirit. And so these things, I have to see this dynamic as it enters in. So the trials, God is doing work on both ends. Somebody that comes in beat off the street, maybe, well, his trial is what got him into the body of Christ. And does he need a trial right then? Not necessarily, but maybe the person who is mature in their faith, maybe there is a trial because God wants to do a particular work in his life. So God's always doing something on both ends of the aisle. You guys can be the poor people and you can be the rich people. Sorry. But God's always doing a, a work on both ends of the aisle. And, and really, don't divide it in half, but just in the midst of all of us because all are represented here. Verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So trials, if trials, we're entering into a new thought here in verses 12 through 18. If trials come from God for growth, then temptation comes from the devil for deception for the purpose of bringing destruction, of thwarting God's purpose in that trial. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. Temptation, in a bad sense, is to test one malicious, maliciously or to try and test one's faith, virtue, character by the enticement of sin. Remember, God breaks us down for the purpose of building us up. The devil breaks us down for the purpose of countering what God wants to do. And so trials... Trials are oppressing for the born-again believer from the outside. These are outside forces that are working against us. But then there's this issue, <clears throat> excuse me, this issue of temptations that work from within us. The reason the two are linked is in the midst of a trial, well, blessed is the man who endures temptation. So the thought is still trial. God's working this trial out, but now the devil enters into the equation, and he's tempting you. What is he tempting you with? He's tempting you with a means by over, bypassing this trial. He's tempting you with the easy way out of the trial. Now, if, if God really loved you, would God allow you to be going through whatever it is you're going through? I mean, I would bet you if we took the survey here, everybody has thought that at some point. If I'm really a child of God, how come God is allowing this to happen? 
And if that kind of sounds familiar, we're not going to turn there, but back in Matthew chapter 4, it's exactly what Jesus Christ, well, the devil said to Jesus Christ. Now, just previous to that in chapter 3, Jesus was baptized, and, and, and the Father spoke out, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then the beloved Son right away was led into the wilderness for a time of trial and a time of testing. And he's going 40 days and 40 nights without food. And what did the devil say? If you really are the Son of God. And that was the point here of temptation. And it's got it. we have to be of that mindset. As we're going through that hard thing, we can have that mindset. Yeah, if I was really a child of God, if God really did love me, how come I am going through this? And so what's going to be the alternative? The alternative is going to be that which is counter to the will of God. Matter of fact, according to the will of the devil. So in the midst of the trial, we can so easily question the love of God. The deceiver will tell you of his love for you. Again, that's what the devil was attempting to do with Jesus Christ. Because of our flesh, we could be inclined to take it. Because in the midst of a trial, because as I've said many times before, your trial it's not my trial. My trial is not your trial. Your trial is that which is designed to really tear the heart out of your chest. It's going to be that which is so overwhelming that brings you to the point of dependency upon God. And you may say, I'm going through this trial. This has happened in my life. And I may think, well, what's the big deal? But then trial will enter into my life, and that's a custom-designed trial for me to get me to my knees before God. And so that being the case, these things are real. These things are overwhelming. It's according to our nature, to allow temptation to enter in so we would bypass what God has. So if God uses this trial to mature me, the devil doesn't want to see you matured. He's going to show you the easy way out. The problem with the easy way out, and I've mentioned this before, is all you're going to do is either extend the trial or end the trial, but then you're just going to have to go through the trial again. Because if God in his wisdom determined that's what was necessary for you, you're going to end up going through it, whatever you do. And so we're better off just praying for wisdom. Lord, give me wisdom that I may gain all that you have for me through this trial. And as you're receptive of that, that good work that God's doing, and as he will be faithful to complete it, it's going to bring you down that road to maturity. Verses 13 through 14 Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Times of testing are turned to temptations really by us. Yeah, the devil, he lays the obstacle before us. But in actuality, temptation, I allow that into my life. I allow it into my life by not taking my thoughts captive, by maybe thinking, maybe there is an easy way out. If God really loved me, would he allow me to go through this? If there really is a a God, does he really move in my life? And again, all this doubt can so easily enter in. We need to take the responsibility for the wrong of trying to achieve something good by setting a bad course. We can be a people who do that. Try to achieve something good. Let this trial go away. Or let me receive all that you have apart from that trial when in fact God is telling me it's necessity, a necessity to have that trial. 
Eve wanting to be more spiritual, that was good. She took a bad course, sin. A person wanting to save money, which is good, cheats on his taxes, that's bad. An athlete wanting to win gold, he takes steroids, that's bad. Sin, sin again, is just simply missing the mark. And I've got to be careful that I don't miss that mark as I'm going through the hard times of my life. So you plug yourself in and your better idea, and, and we see that as all this is doing is counteracting what God wants to see happen in our lives. So this is what James is spelling out here in verse 14. But each one is tempted when he was drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Desire, that word is also translated lust. And now it, don't think of it as sexual lust necessarily, but it's just the lust to, to make things easier, to make things better for myself without gaining what God has. This is an unlawful desire in God's sight for carnal pleasure. It's just simply the desire for this trial, for this trial to stop and this trial to end. But there's not just the flesh working here. There's also the deception. The deception in verse 14, it's the last two there. It's drawn away and enticed. The root word for deception is where we get the word for devil. In John chapter 8, verse 44, you are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. And so I've got to deal with the flesh. And the flesh has got its passions and it's got its lust and whatnot. And so I need to die to the flesh in the midst of the trial. There's the world and the world always has some sort of easy way out of that which is spiritual. And then there's the devil who's pointing me and enticing me in that direction. And so again, these two words drawn away, that word has a connotation in the Greek of baiting a trap. There's some bear trap over there. And look what's sitting on top. There's a, there's a tiramisu sitting on top of that. If you're unaware, that's my weak point. There's tiramisu sitting on that. Yeah, but, but look underneath it. There's those jaws. Yeah, but there's tiramisu on it. And, and you know, you can just have that, that focus and go over there. And once you grab the tiramisu, snap, and it's got you. Or enticed. Enticed has a connotation of baiting a hook. Baiting a hook. When I fish, we'd put whatever it is that fish like, worms, smelly yellow stuff or whatever, or a lure of some sort or whatever, and you put it around the hook and you kind of hide the hook and the fish. I don't know what fish think, but I have a pretty good idea. They see what they see and they think it looks good, but there's that hook. The bait used for you is whatever it is that draws your attention. For King David, it was Bathsheba. His, His hook was baited by Bathsheba. The bait, again, is what hides the hook. But then that brings us to the third step in the process. Verse 15, then when desire is conceived, it brings birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. And sin, that's the hook. The hook is sin. And, and then you have the, the, the death that it brings you to and it, it draws you and you have no choice and you can't fight against it and there's that pull and it pulling, it's pulling you away from the Lord and the things of the Lord. Anybody that's ever caught a fish understands the concept once again. You hide it, but once you got them, once they're hooked and then you bring them in, what does sin bring us to? Sin will always bring us to death. Now, think of death just from the 
the, the uh, prospect or the perspective of the Christian life. What is death? I mean, death is obviously dying, but it's also eternity apart from God. Now, for the born-again believer, I'm not going to experience eternity apart from God. But as I enter into sin in this life now, as a born-again believer, it, that too will bring me to a godless existence. And what I mean by that is you're going to cause God to step back. And what you have done, if you follow through in this process going the wrong way, then you've given yourself over to the devil. And sooner or later, the devil is going to reveal himself for who he is, the cruel taskmaster for who he is. And then you come into bondage. And as you come into bondage, then you just live that miserable life. But if you give yourself over to the Lord, God's going to meet you in the midst of the trial. And as he meets you in the trial, as he's led you in, he's going to lead you out. And then you're going to be, again, even so much closer to the Lord because you've spent that time in that hard place. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, we see the concept of what I've been talking about. It says, as Eve is being tempted by the devil, For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So there's the deception. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes, there's desire, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate their sin. And then Paul told us in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. And that's what they experienced, and death entered into humanity. So in the midst of a trial and the feeling of temptation, verses 17 through 18, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creature. So I look at verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Well, what's being talked about here? What's the context? It's the trial. The trial is the good gift. The trial is the perfect gift. I don't know about that, Pastor Mike. You don't know what I've gone through. No, no, I, I, I understand to a degree what you go through. I know what I go through. And I understand, yeah, the, the tr- some of the trials that we've all gone through, it's been, the trial itself has been a bad thing, but God has worked good through it. And God will continue to do so because that's how God works. So in the midst of a trial and feeling temptation, know this, three things. God gives only good gifts. Only good gifts. A trial that comes from God is going to be good for the work that God wants to achieve in your life. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, Paul says, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And it also says that God gives constantly. Secondly, it comes down. That it speaks of presently and constantly coming down. That God has always given us that which is good for our spiritual lives. And then thirdly, God does not change. As God has been good today, he's going to be good tomorrow as I'm going through that trial. And he's going to be good all through that, all the way through to the end. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. And so backing up again, verse 2, my brethren, he's writing to the church, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now you don't say, whippy, I got into this car crash. 
but you do find joy in the trial that you understand that God is doing a work. God wants a closer relationship with me. As I can start, and I'm not saying you're going to have joy instantly and all that, but when you evaluate the situation based upon the word of God, you come to the realization that God is doing that great work. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Again, he doesn't get specific here because your trial is yours, mine is mine. Verse 3, knowing. So you can know this without a doubt that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing, that you would be brought to the point of maturity in your Christian life. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, in faith, knowing that, okay, I, I come to this understanding that, Lord, you are doing something here, that you're wanting to change me and you're wanting to mold me. God, help me learn the lesson. And it's okay to learn the lesson so you don't have to go through that anymore or that you don't have to go through it again. Lord, I pray that real change comes in my life through this difficult time so that I come to this place of a greater maturity or a greater reflection of Jesus Christ to those who you come in contact with. It's how God works. It's what God does. It's how God wants to meet you. These things are hard. A lot of people, they bail. I, I can't tell you how many people, I, they'll show up to church, haven't seen them for a year. What happened? Well, I went through this hard time. So where did you go? You know, they, they just kind of gave up on God. See, that, that's an immaturity. But the thing about that is, with that person is, he's come back at least. But as a Christian who's desiring to mature, the only way to do it is, again, the same way as a bodybuilder in the gym. It's to lift the weights, to break down the muscle so that the muscle will be built back up even greater than before. That's what God is doing with our faith. He's not tearing faith down, don't get me wrong on that, but he's allowing the trial to come in so that you will be able to be strengthened in your faith. And that the result of that, a closer walk with the Lord. And so it's a perfect leeway into what we're celebrating here, communion or this common union that we have with one another. A common union, yeah, that, that's how we can talk about just pretty much any section of Scripture, and it can relate to everybody across the board. We're all going through this walk in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all experiencing trials and troubles and all of these things. There's temptation in all of our lives, and so that being the case, as we celebrate this communion meal that we're about to do so, we do so as brothers and sisters, and that we have the same Heavenly Father, and we've all come into the kingdom of God the very same way. And because of that, whether well-off or, or a lowly brother, whatever it might be, that we would meet and that we would support one another, and we would be strength to one another, that we would be the Holy Spirit working through us and into the lives of the brethren. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, now, what did Paul receive from the Lord? He received the knowledge of the communion meal, but I think it goes much deeper than that. For I received from the Lord. What did he receive from the Lord? He received grace from the Lord. He received mercy from the Lord. 
He received the love of God into his life that caused great change to come about. And and, and it really altered who he was from a man who was breathing threats against the church to a man who was all about the church in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so when Paul writes those words, don't just whittle it down to the communion meal, although that's part of it, but see how vast this expanse is. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. So that which God has given to me, Paul's saying, kind of along the point that I was saying, he's given out to the body of Christ. And he understands as he builds the body of Christ, and the body of Christ will be there to minister to him as well. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In the midst of trials and tribulations, it can be so easy to forget the basic elements of our faith. And we are constantly, as we celebrate communion, directed back towards that. Now, last Sunday, we had Mother's Day. We didn't have evening service because the idea was that you'd spend it with mom. Later on that evening, we went out to a nice restaurant with... uh, with my mother-in-law and with my wife and my daughter, who two of my daughters who are mothers as well, and we had a blessed time. We had a blessed time around that table. It was kind of a loud restaurant, and we're loud people, so it worked out really well. How many other people had some kind of Mother's Day dinner that you attended or whatever? Yeah, so most of us do because there's intimacy around a meal. And, and, and you went there, and you were mostly, I'm sure, of the same family, connected somehow, some way, or at least with some sort of friends. And that's what this meal is intended to be. It's intended to be this meal that because of our Heavenly Father, we gather together and we celebrate it in joy. We celebrate it in the knowledge of the work that God has continued to do in our lives. And we celebrate it with the knowledge of eternity with Him. Verse 28 says, But but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup, For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Pretty serious there. Because we can so easily take the communion meal for granted. And the Bible's telling us, don't take this for granted. Because as you sat at Calvary Chapel, Ontario on May 20th, and as you held that bread in your hand, and you held that wine in your hand, but you didn't realize or you didn't consider what you were doing at that time, and that, yeah, that that juice, it, it represented the blood of Christ that washed sins away. Do you believe that the blood of Jesus has washed your sins away? Or, or, or that bread that represents the body that was broken for you? Do you believe that Christ is God incarnate who came and died on the cross? And if you don't believe those things, is all you're doing is eating and drinking judgment to yourself. And that they were, that knowledge was available to you and you consumed it, but it had absolutely no effect in your life or through your life. As far as for the born again believer, I believe that the blood of Jesus has washed me clean. And this juice, it's not the blood of Jesus, but it's representative of the blood of Jesus. And this bread, that's not the body of Christ, but it's representative of the body of Christ. It's just a reminder. But I believe to such a degree that I consume these things 
And these things become part of who I am. You cannot separate what you believe from who you are. And this meal is to remind us of that. Father, once again, we just thank you, God, that you have given us your word and your word, Lord, just how practical it is, again, because we all go through times of trials and troubles. And I pray, Father, that we would see these things from a new perspective. But right now, as we celebrate this communion meal, Lord, there's some pretty serious words that you have written here. Eat and drink judgment unto ourselves. This is to eat and drink in an unworthy manner. And so, Father, I just pray for this congregation even right now. We're told in your word, Father, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we're faithful to repent, you're faithful to forgive. And Lord, I just want to take this time as everybody's eyes are closed and heads are bowed. If there's anybody here that, that you know that if you were going to partake of this meal, you would be doing so in an unworthy manner, that you would just repent right now. And you would allow the love of Christ to come into your life. Maybe you've yet to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you haven't been walking in your Christian faith. Maybe you've compromised or, 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 or maybe you've allowed a temptation to get the better of you. I, I would like to take this time just to give you an opportunity to repent of that and just to ask Christ to cleanse you from those things. And do so just by the outward expression of just a raising of your hand and all I'm going to do is acknowledge that a hand has gone up. I see your hand to my right. Is there anybody else? If you're out in the fellowship hall, you're doing this really before the Lord. You can raise your hand out there. Is there anybody else? I see your hand off to my left in the back. Anybody else? This is so you would not partake of this meal in a manner that is unworthy in the sight of God. I see your hand to my right. If God is speaking to you, submit yourself to the Lord. Is there anybody else? I see your hand to my left. Anybody else before we pray? Father, you've seen the hands that have gone up before you, Lord, and we just thank you, God, that you are such a gracious God. We thank you for how you meet your people, Lord, and you inspire them, and then we're all, all inspired because of them. I pray for those who have raised their hands, and I pray, Father, that they would have full confidence, not in themselves and not even really in the raising of their hands, but just, Father, in this great work that you do in our lives. You do in the life of somebody who just simply repents before you. And so, Father, I just pray for this time of this meal that you would bless us, that you would drive the knowledge deep within our hearts of this feeling of family, that we gather here together for this meal for the purpose of unification within the body of Christ, Lord, that you would be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Scott's going to, Scott is up. Um, Scott's going to prepare the uh, meal. Go ahead and make two lines, and so we can go a little bit quicker, and the worship team's going to lead us in worship. Where mercy reigns and never dies. There's a place where streams of grace flow deep and wide. All the love I've ever found. Comes like a flood.
comes flowing down at the cross at the cross I surrender my life I'm in all of you I'm in all of you where your love ran red and my sin washed white I
Father, once again, we come to that point in the month that we hold these elements in our hands. And Father, this is, this is something that you have commanded us to partake in. And so, Father, as we come before you in obedience, I pray, Father, for it be the purpose of stirring up our memory, that, Lord, we would even be brought back to the time of first love, the time, Father, when you entered into our lives and you caused us to become born again. And I just pray, Father, that we would remember that excitement we would remember that mystery and that we were moving into, Lord, just something completely different and something completely new. And so, Father, as we entered in by faith as well, I pray that we would be a people who would continue in faith. But we would not lose, Father, that excitement and the newness because, Lord, in our Christian life, we're renewed every single day. And so, Father, I pray that we would be reminded of these things and I pray that we would embrace these things. And so, Father, as we consume this meal, it's because we believe that we believe that, Lord, you were incarnate and you came in the flesh. And your flesh was broken, Lord, but you were resurrected and ascended into heaven. We also believe, Father, that when your blood was spilled, it washed away all of our sins. It cast them as far as the east is from the west that you have chosen to remember them no more. And so, Father, all of these things, they add up to eternity. We can look back and see the past and what has occurred. We can look, to the forward, look forward to the future and realize all that we have in store for us through your great promises, but also, Father, realize the strength that you have for us today. So as we partake of these elements, Lord, it's for a reminder that our beliefs have become part of who we are. Let's go ahead and partake. Go ahead and stand, please. A couple of things before we dismiss. First of all, we have a prayer calendar here at this church, and it just speaks of all of the things that we do and all of the ministries. There's a different place for prayer every single day, and you can pick one up at the information booth. Secondly, we'll have people up here to pray for you if there's anything that you need to pray for after service, and I'll, I'll be in the back as well. And then today we have a little special event going on, if you will. Uh, children's ministry is just having a display. And the idea is so that you know what is being taught to our children and how it is being taught. So I encourage you not just to go back there for that information, but as you go back there and you talk to them, it's also an encouragement to them because our children's ministry can be so out of sight and out of mind. But we've got dedicated people who serve the Lord over there every single service. We have children's ministry every service that we have. And just go up to them. Just encourage them. Give them a good word. Other than that, we'll be in Psalm 119 tonight, our second study in Psalm 119. God bless you as you go through the week.
spoke a word You were taking over me You have been so, so good to me Before I took a breath Breathe your life in me You have been so, so kind to me All the overwhelming, never-ending Reckless love of God Oh, it chases me down, fights till I Still you gave yourself away All the overwhelming, never-ending Reckless love of God Oh, the 
Good afternoon. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day, week. <laughs> there is prayer up front. God bless you.